Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Good evening, everyone. My name is Agelos, and welcome to our pilot episode of Tales of Tamriel. We are very excited to begin this journey with you, and I just wanted to take a few minutes to go over my motivation for creating this podcast, and what better way of doing so than in a story. I have been listening to podcasts for years, and this has always been a medium that I was really interested in. So when The Elder Scrolls Online was announced, I began listening to any podcast I could find concerning this game and anything Elder Scrolls related. I have been in love with Tamriel since I first played The Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind. Morrowind was actually the very first game that I had bought with my own money back when I was about 15 or 16. I'm currently 27, so there's a span of years in there. And I remember going into my local GameStop and having some cash that I had saved from whatever it was I had been doing to earn the aforementioned cash. I don't really remember how I earned it, but knowing me, I tend to lean towards swindling money away from somebody rather than legitly earning it. Anyway, there I was with cash in hand, looking over what games I could get for my new gaming PC. Then my eyes fell upon Game of the Year edition of Morrowind. This game looks so cool, I just had to get it. After purchasing the game and installing it, I plunged headfirst into Tamriel and immediately got frustrated. I mean, come on guys, I was young and unaccustomed to that type of open RPG. Pretty much any of these Elder Scrolls games are very daunting at the very first time you've stepped into them. Um, as I was adventuring, I found myself getting lost, not knowing what I was doing, and after several hours, I just gave up. It wasn't until some years later, and after I'd matured a little and played several other linear-type RPGs, that I got more into the genre and decided to give Morrowind another chance. This time, it blew me away. I remember stepping into Tamriel, and I was stunned by how live the world felt. The game seemed to go on, if you will, even if there wasn't anything I was doing to push it forward. The townsfolk seemed to have lives of their own. They had conversations with the other NPCs around them. They went about, did chores, and at the end of the day, they slept. It also amazed me how much time the developers had put into the lore of the game that made the game feel real by way of the books, the lore conversations you could have in the game. 
I couldn't understand why they would spend so much time doing this. I mean, let's face it. And be honest with ourselves here when you, t- when you think about this. How many people actually read the books in the game or talk to an NPC that isn't related to a quest you were looking for? Few of, few of you guys, right? I mean, other than opening the book a brief second to see, oh, did I get a skill point? No. You normally don't talk to people with conversations just to hear them talk. You just kind of space bar through it until you get to quest accepted. So, so much effort went in from so little notice from the gamer community. But now that I look back at it, I am glad they did that. This makes this game stand out from other RPGs out there. Let's fast forward a little bit and bring us more into the modern day. My wife, who is also my lovely co-host this evening, whom I will introduce shortly, we were out browsing at our local retail, just looking around, not really after anything in particular. We had been playing MMORPGs together for a while, but at this point in time, we had hit a slump, and we wanted something new that we could do together. That's kind of like what we like to do. That's when I saw what will become my favorite game of all time, Skyrim. It had just come out a few months prior, and I turned to my wife and said, Hey, we could get both get a copy of this game, and we could play through this together. I didn't really know if she'd actually played an Elder Scrolls game before, so I wasn't sure if she would be interested, but she was quite ecstatic at the idea, so we each picked up a copy of the game, as well as the massive Skyrim strategy guide, and we began our adventure together. That brings us to the end of that story, and the first stepping stone to the journey that led us to here. I felt it was proper to rattle off, as my wife would say, the story that... um, because of the focus of this podcast is storytelling, I wanted to rattle it off into a story. There were several podcasts that I listened to about Elder Scrolls. Each one of them had a different style about them, but my favorite part of any podcast was when they talked about their playthroughs. This was where I got to sit down and listen to other people talk about their experiences in the game, and this in turn made me want to go home and jump right into the Elder Scrolls game of, my, of choice for me and find out that place they were talking about, try that mod they were raving about, or not do anything they suggested and go out and create my own story. That's the focus I wanted for my podcast, hence the title, Tales of Tamriel. Most podcasts go over game news, patch notes, etc. They might have their discussions about the hot button issues in the community, But most have done away with the playthrough section or only have it as a small section during the introductions of what... What have you been up to this week? But not here. We... Yes, we're going to go over game news. We'll go over patch notes when the game goes out if it's pertinent to the conversation. And we'll have small discussion topics that we'll go over briefly. But the main section will always be the playthrough. What we did this week... What did we discover? Anything about the world of Tamriel we like from the perspective of our characters. Since the game's in closed beta, we'll not be talking about any beta experiences at this time until the NDA lifts, but um, we will focus on some of the older titles until the launch of The Elder Scrolls Online and possibly even afterwards. And we welcome you to journey with us as we brave the wilds of Tamriel. As I mentioned earlier, my name is Zagelos, and I will be the lead host for Tales of Tamriel. This evening, my co-host will be my lovely wife, Thais. Thais, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you got into the Elder Scrolls universe. 
Hello! Well, let's see, what got me into Elder Scrolls? I think I first started off with Oblivion, and I played it on Xbox. And I have to say, I really didn't like it. For the same reasons that my husband didn't, I felt lost at every turn I took. And I remember going around the game for about two hours just jumping because of that massive athletic skill that for some reason seemed to be so important. And it took a really long time for me to to adjust to the game. After a while I liked it, but I didn't really play it for very long. It wasn't a game that had really interested me at the time. I was more into Zelda and Final Fantasy. Those were my games of choice. And then when Skyrim started to be announced, it looked absolutely fantastic and I really wanted to try it. And when Jello suggested to me that we play it together. I was just so excited because it just looked epic. Everywhere you turn, it just looked epic. And when we first started it up, I think it took both of us about two hours to create our tunes, how we wanted them to look, what, what we were trying to portray in game. And that is what really got me hooked, is that in Skyrim, you really do become your character. There are so many choices and so many different things you can do. And I have so many pictures of my tune doing all, all kinds of things in Skyrim because everything you did was just, you became that character. And that's what really got me into The Elder Scrolls was, was definitely the experience I had in Skyrim. Awesome, that's so cool. We're going to go into our next section here, which we will go over game news. We have only a few topics I really want to go over today. And the first one I'm going to let my wife, Thais, she's going to take over because this one was something she was really cool about. Um, ZeniMax announced the voice acting cast for The Elder Scrolls Online. So what, what, can you tell us a little bit about what, what they announced? Like what was going on? Well, this was amazing for me because the first name that stuck out was Michael Gambone who if you don't know plays Albus Dumbledore in Harry Potter and I am a gigantic <laughs> Harry Potter fan so when I heard his his name and then I heard who he was playing it was just perfect he's playing the prophet and I, you know I really could not picture anyone else to play that character his voice is just amazing and, and how he portrays everything. It just, it really excited me. That's not the only one that that was quite amazing to find out. There's a John Cleese to play Sir Cadwell, which after... Um, doesn't, doesn't he play... What, what all does he play in? I know that name. Monty Python. Oh. If you're a fan of Monty <laughs> Python... Then, then you know John Cleese. He's he's done a, a lot of other stuff, but the Ministry of Funny Walks is definitely one that everyone will remember. <laughs> we're not really going to talk about the beta experience, but both of us have been it. We're allowed to say that as part of the NDA. But I'm excited now that she said who he was. I know exactly the character, and they mentioned it, I think, in the post, who it is that he plays. 
and it fits his personality really well. He plays this just insane man in the very first section, and it's just it's it's just great to hear his voice because when you think of him, you you know you think of Monty Python, and you think of him being just a little strange and not quite there. It you know it works, and then. Another one that, that kind of took me by surprise was Kate Beckinsale. I love the... Kate Beckinsale. Well, she's she's kind of hot. Even even I can say that. I I will go forth and profess my allegiance to the Ebonheart Pact right now. But when I heard Kate Beckinsale was playing uh, the queen of the Aldmar Dominion, that alone almost swayed me. And I've been a diehard Nord since Morrowind, so... It was tough not to go, ooh. <laughs> I I have to admit that even that cannot sway me. I I am love the dark elves. I I will always love the dark elves. That that couldn't sway me. But that that was still pretty interesting to find out that she is going to be a part of of the Elder Scrolls. Now there's there's a couple other na- uh, other names. Uh, Alfred Molina. Who, he um, the only title that I've, I I can remember more than anything else was his role in Prince of Persia, because he just it was just really a really neat role. I know you'll remember he played. Um, yeah, I'm trying to grasp, and I can't at the moment. <laughs> he was the leader who ran the races with the llamas. I think oh, it was the llamas. The, yeah, the, <laughs> I remember now. The, os- the ostrich racer. Ostriches, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> it was, yeah, I, I like him. I do. He was pretty neat. Another big name is Bill Nye. Now, he's he's been in a lot of things, but most people, I think, will remember him in Shaun. Was it Shaun of the Dead? Yeah. He, Playing the Dead. Yep, he was the dad in Shaun of the Dead. He also played, I believe it was Victor in the Underworld series. So, yeah. I'm. Who does he play in here? Let's see. He plays. I can't even remember what name that I just said. Uh, Bill Bill Nye. Oh, okay. He plays a merchant prince. High King Emmerich. Is that what it is? Yes. Uh, I'd be interested to see um, if Zenimax does any kind of interaction because, like, he's already worked on other works, like other movies with Kate Beckinsale. And I mean, yeah, he's the leader of the um, Daggerfall Covenant. But I'd be interested if they do any kind of interaction between the two of them because as actors, they've already worked together. And I'd I'd like to see if with voice acting, if any of that would come into it. Because they've already worked together on several movies, so that would be kind of cool. Is that everyone that we're uh, looking at? Well, there's Malcolm McDowell, who plays the key figure, Molik Ball. I, I love this guy. When I saw his face, I'm like, oh, I hope he's Molik Ball. He, I think that he'll do really well playing Molik Ball. Because he's he's really he's really known for playing a lot of villainous characters in, in most movies that he plays. So this this was a great role for him. And when you when you think of the main bad guy, you definitely want someone who's really good at being evil. 
I think he's he's played a lot of negative roles in the past. Not negative roles, but the the bad guy roles in the past. Um. Okay. Uh. Let's see. I guess that would be it for that topic. Then. Um. The next big game news is the ESO receives a mature rating by the ESRB. And I will pull this up here because I wanted to read word for word what Zenimax had said. They posted on January 22nd uh, on Facebook that the ESRB advised us that it has given the Elder Scrolls Online a mature rating. While we may disagree with the ESRB's determination, we do not plan on challenging the rating. And we are unwilling to change the game's content to achieve a different rating. The game we have created is one that we want our fans to be able to play. As a result of the ESRB rating, we were in the process of promptly updating everything that's required rating and age gates, including game trailers, websites, and ads. Thanks for your understanding. We can't wait to welcome players into the Elder Scrolls online soon. Now, I was ecstatic when I saw this rating. Me too. It, it, it just... Elder Scrolls, the one thing I love about the Elder Scrolls is the no-holds-bar lore. It is dark. It is cutthroat. It is like, I mean, everything about it is not for kids, if you will. I mean, it's not like a horror survival type game, but a lot of the a lot of the quests and stuff like that are of a somewhat um, adult type theme i mean if you look at the lore one of the major things in the lore that most people probably wouldn't know is the wild hunt of the um bosmer they were actually known cannibals and they would actually when they killed their enemies in battle they would eat them that whether it was an animal whether or not it was a man or other other myrrh other elves they would eat them cannibalism tends to be a kind of adult subject i don't know if they would ever show that because i think there was a uh, q a session where someone had brought that up in the in one of the q a's asking how are you going to portray this and i think zenimax kind of at the at the time they were going for a teed rating so they're like well we're not going to really actively show this or anything like that we're just going to say you know it's in the lore um another thing is if you guys played skyrim and <laughs> All right, my wife wants I to take this just, one. I was just going to say that one sentence, the cannibals of Markarth. I will never forget that quest chain. It was so good and so detailed that that quest chain actually made me sick to my stomach, which if if it can do that, then they're doing a really really good job. I I I I tend to like all the the horror movies and things like that, but for something to make me sick to my stomach, they they did a nice job. Yeah, that is definitely true. I remember running into that quest and literally just talking to the people around the table, the way they were saying it. Uh, I remember looking down at the butcher and the butcher looking up at you and you say, wait, I know you from somewhere. And he goes, yeah. I'm the local butcher, the bloodiest meat in all the reach. And he starts having this really creepy laugh. And at that point, I felt sick to my stomach, too. I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> I'm like, please tell me I didn't buy from that merchant. Please tell me I didn't buy from that merchant. <laughs> so 
I definitely liked the fact they went with a mature rating. I know they were kind of going for a teen rating on these games to try to bring in a greater audience, but let's face it. I mean, if we if we really want to talk about the ESRB rating, it doesn't mean anything. I know legally you have to get it, you have to get it um, rated by this group, but how many people, whether they're um, you know young adults, our kids, our parents, really follow it? The parents seem oblivious to what ESRB ratings actually stand for. I mean, if you look at Grand Theft Auto, for instance, that thing was probably the what was it? Grand Theft Auto Five sold twelve million, twelve million dollars on the first three days. I think I remember reading that somewhere. Like, that's how much money it grossed. Obviously, they're not all adults. Because, let's face it, the the gaming of adults, is it sharply declines after about the age 25. There's still this hardcore gamers out there that still play. But if you talk to, you know, an, if you got a sample of adults, it drops off. Um, so, a lot of people who buy games are the young adults that the young adults in college are kids and stuff like that. No one cares about the rating, to be honest. This mature rating will now allow them to bring in things, I hope. I don't think it's going to change anything for launch, by the way. But I'm hoping what happens is they'll be able to use this rating later on to bring in some of the things that um, make the game feel more real. Blood splatter, some of the darker quests, things of that nature that they maybe tried to keep out of the game to get that teen rating. This this rating I think is is perfect. It it will really allow them to do everything that they need to do to make this a classic Elder Scrolls game. And even though it has a mature rating, I don't feel this game being as harsh as other mature games. Like my husband said, Grand Theft Auto is pretty gruesome in the themes that it has. But with Elder Scrolls, it's all about the lore and the story. And this this really gives them a chance to, to do this game justice. It's It really made me happy to hear that they were going with the mature rating. All right. That's awesome. I'm really happy about that. Uh, the last piece of news we're going to go over is actually going to be our discussion topic for the night. We're going to go over this really quickly because this is something that as MMO players, and we have been vet MMO players for years now, um, both of us have an extensive rating background in World of Warcraft, Rift, um, played games such as Guild Wars 2. Uh, no, she says Terra, and I will not advocate that at all. I do not. Um, and Final Fantasy, I played both 11 and we're playing 14 now. Uh, fantastic games. But the PvE, we've always been PvEers. I enjoy PvP and I have to have it in my game because it gives me something to do. But to say I go into it once a week would probably be a lie. To say I go into it once a month is maybe. But. I remember playing DOAC, uh, Dark Age of Camelot, for you guys. And actually, a lot of the people working with ZeniMax Online are from the old Mythic Entertainment Studios, uh, Paul Sage for one. And they were the kind of the head starts of Dark Age of Camelot. So this three-faction alliance versus alliance um, that they call it now really started there. And uh, I, I actually enjoyed that type of um, that type of PvP. 
MVP, but that's not what our discussion topic is about. ZeniMax issued a Twitter announcement earlier this week saying that they will be preparing um, a bunch of different discussion topics and uh, Q&As and developer videos about the PvE aspect, player versus environment aspect in the Elder Scrolls Online. If you guys had seen, they had released a developer playthrough earlier in the week um, showing off a little bit about the multiplayer player versus environment content in Elder Scrolls. Um, Dace, what do you, like, so far they've only showed the video, we're going to discuss that in a minute, but what else are you hoping that they're going to show in this multiplayer PvE content? What are you hoping to see out of what you can do with your friends? I really just want there to be a lot of chances for us to explore the world together. Things that you don't even need a large group, even if it's just me, you, and one other person. I, I want that content to be immersive. I, I want it to be uh, just enjoyable, and I want the world to be large. I want it to feel like we can live in this world with our friends. And when we go up against large bosses in the world, I want it to be difficult. I, I want to die five times before I'm able to beat this <laughs> boss with my friends. I agree. That's, that's what I want. I'm looking for the the content that we can explore the world and the difficulty level where you, you have to concentrate and, and spend time. That's what I look forward to in, in my MMOs. Right, right. I agree. I definitely agree with that. Um, I really don't know whether or not we're going to see anything like on the elusive adventure zones that they keep promising us. But I do agree with your points of Elder Scrolls is nothing if not immersion. Getting into the world and feeling like you're part of it. I have to feel that when I play. And MMOs are time investments. Anyone who says not or they want to get stuff quickly is duping themselves. I mean, MMOs in general were meant to be time investments. You build time in there. You make acquaintances and friends. I still have friends that I've made from my first MMO, uh, Ultima Online, when I was 14. It, it's insane um, how these relationships grow. And you, you get these people and you follow them around. Some follow you from game to game. Some kind of stop gaming and you just keep in touch with them because they become your friends. I still have friends from my very first MMO, which was years ago, Maple Story, that I still talk to this day because you, when you make friends in MMOs, sometimes they are just lifelong friends because you have that, that interest with them. And even though I'm going to get picked on here for mentioning Maple Story. <laughs> that is very true. But actually, speaking of lifelong friends, a little bit of um, insight on this, just because we actually had one of our both now mutual friends. Actually, he was my best man or not best man, but he was um, one of my groomsmen in my wedding. Uh, that was actually an MMO friend of Thais. Uh, we met and I needed a groomsman because uh, my best I had my best man who will probably join this podcast at some point. Hint, hint, wink, wink. I know you're listening. Um, 
And he was my best man. But other than that, I didn't really have a lot of other people to pick from. And she had yep. a million bridesmaids, it seemed like. So I had to find other people. And one of her friends that, you know, that I met and I actually really liked. Um, I, I have <laughs> met him from life. And I've known him for, wow, so many years. And we talk through email and phone calls and text messages, but we had never actually met in real life. And when he needed a groomsman, I, I thought to myself, well, why don't we invite this person? And everyone thought it was really strange, but that just goes to show one of those lifelong friendships you make in MMOs. And he turned out to be the groomsman in our wedding. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. But again, that's one of the things that MMOs give. It's that sense of community that brings people in, that keeps people coming back, even after, we'll say, the content gets old or whatever the case may be. Content still has to be there so you can play and make friends. Um, the playthrough video, let's discuss this a little bit. They talked through, and there were some major, major points they talked about, and one of them was overland bosses. Free-roaming bosses that will walk around. Now, for people who don't know an overland boss is, a boss tends to be a monster you could not take solo. It will wreck your day and make you cry. It's a group encounter that's not instanced, that you may just be out there, I don't know, for the people who like to gather. I'm out there picking my flowers, gotta find my corpse rot flower. Oh, crud, there's a giant mud crab. That type of overland boss that you will then have to run back to town send out your messages in your guild going, there's a giant mud crab wants to eat my face, and I need assistance on killing it. What, what do you feel about these overland bosses? What do you hope that they provide to the game? After watching the, the video with this overland boss, I felt it was too easy. That's what it looked like to me. It didn't have enough health. It just... It wasn't wrecking their day enough. It, it really wasn't. I feel like it It really should be something where you. it takes some time and one hit should take away half your health and you got to keep moving and you got you, you to gotta think about what spells you're going to cast to stun or to slow it. I, I really... Now, now, the video was great. I'm excited to participate in these bosses but I definitely think it needs to be harder. It needs to, to wreck some lives. That's my wife, ladies and gentlemen. She is the one who feeds on your tears. Uh, I agree with this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Overland bosses are fun, but they're meant to be dangerous. This harkens back to any of you old school MMO players will remember Dark Age of Camelot, and they had some Overland bosses. We'll remember Ultima Online, and it's... Uh, and it's um, Oh, crud, I can't remember the name. It's special spawns of some kind. I wish I could remember what it was now. It, it wasn't a rare spawn. It was, they had a name. There was something lore-wise. I can't remember. But everyone, I'm sure, will remember what I'm talking about. Like, there's, you got titles for it. There was one for, like, rat slayers, demon slayers. Anyway, they were very difficult bosses that you literally had to get everyone in the world to get. Now, another game that went in the complete opposite direction, at least at the start, Guild Wars 2, was all about overland bosses. They were fun at first. 
this is the narrow it's a very very thin line of what is fun and what is too difficult especially in these overland bosses which in the video they were saying this was supposed to kind of get people to wet their feet a little bit into group content but with overland bosses if it's too easy people will do it once and be done and that's it if it's too hard people will never want to do it there were uh overland bosses in world of warcraft in the original and burning crusade that were pretty big deal but they actually got so difficult near the end that no one wanted to do them it be, it proved to be too too much work for too little reward i think zenimax really needs to balance out these overland bosses in such a way that they can there's a reward for doing them that when they're up you want to go kill them you want to find the people and and um and kill them off but don't make it so easy that you can literally just walk away from your keyboard i mean uh guild wars 2 did this for a lot of their bosses where pretty much you could just spam the default ability and it was win after 30 seconds they changed that up however in one of the later patches with uh the sunless he was beastly and made people cry it it took two two weeks i think for the first world first kill for the people to figure it out because they had mechanics but most overland bosses, you can avoid mechanics. You just zerg them, if you will. But Zenimax, I think, will need to come up with a way of <clears throat> forcing people to adhere to mechanics. If there's something you need to do, like uh, you're fighting a giant Atronach, there's got to be a way to force you to stop killing the Atronach and maybe go kill the people summoning it. Like, they show up to strengthen it, and uh, if there's enough people in the way, you know, old mechanics of, oh, the guy's sitting there channeling a heal, if you have enough people, you'll be able to just go buy it. They need to figure out a way of blocking it that you cannot avoid mechanics. I, I completely agree. That's That was one thing that always frustrated me in Guild Wars 2, was how people could just ignore mechanics. Same thing in... in uh, and wow, when people ignored mechanics, even when a fight was easy, I'm the kind of person where I still want to do the mechanics. I still want to do the, the, the fight the correct way. And, and my, my husband knows this in, in dungeons. I don't want to do speed runs. I want to kill everything. I want it to eat my face. I want to play the game how it was meant to be played. And if there are mechanics... You, they they need to make sure that you do the mechanics to win. That's that's really what they need to do. But even if it doesn't quite play out that way, as long as the difficulty is there without having to do the mechanics, it has tons of health or it hits you like a ton of bricks, that would still be worthwhile. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. There there needs to be difficulty in these things. Um, I have another thing I want to say about Overland bosses, but I'm actually going to bring this into the last part of this discussion. The next part is teleportation to friends. Did you see any of the teleportation um, mechanics in the game? How do you feel that's going to work? From what it looked like, 
to me anyway, was they want to make you so you can play with your friends and find your friends. I'm not a big advocate of teleportation in games. It makes the game world feel small. Um, I have to completely disagree. If the game world is gigantic, even with a mount, if it takes you 45 minutes to go from town A to run to town B, by the time I get to town B, I'm bored and I forget why I was heading there in the first place. I am a huge advocate of teleporting. I love the instant gratification of, oh, I have to go here. Bam. I am now there. Then you can complete what you what you needed to go there to complete. You can explore the world quicker. Now, it, it to me, it doesn't make the world seem smaller. It actually makes the world seem bigger. If they need to put in teleportation to get around the world, then the world is obviously too big to walk from area to area. I I enjoy the the thought of teleporting to your friends. I really do. Well, how do you feel about with teleport teleportation that you know the people who are going to speed run to level 50 in this game? To, to reach the so-called end game, whatever it may be for them, whether it's the adventure zones, whether it's the uh, race for the, em- the crowning the emperor, whatever the case may be, there's going to be the people who plow through content. MMOs generally have that type of people of the MMO locust, if you will, that jump from one to one, and it, it, they just seem to devour content. Do, do you not feel that teleportation... Uh, kind of helps out or encourages this type of behavior? I really don't because them type of people are going to do that even if there wasn't teleportation. They are still going to find ways to speed through content. Now, if they want to speed through and not enjoy the content how I would enjoy it or how you would enjoy it or how 80% of the other players would enjoy it, that's that's all on them but i still feel like teleportation is something that is definitely needed regardless of how those quote unquote bad players want to use it to their advantage or you think to to a disadvantage it it definitely needs to be in the game right right well on the upside it, this is one thing i'm really happy with is they did this in other games as well um, but they add a cost. If you're at a way shrine, which they did this in Elder Scrolls, uh, the Dawnguard expansion, they had the the way gates, the way shrines in um, the Dawn, one guard, Dawnguard area. You could teleport as long as you were at them. I'm fine with that because if you're at one of these way shrines, you should be able to teleport no matter where you go. They do have an option, which is kind of like a um, like a recall or. Uh, a recall type spell from other games or a hearthstone in in world of warcraft or um, that just makes me think of recall from Baldur's gate where you couldn't teleport but if you need to go to town for something you use the recall potion and it took you right back to the dungeon that you were in <laughs> pretty close yeah yeah definitely something like that um but they're adding cost to the teleportation it's it's free if you're at if you've trekked your way to a, a way shrine and 
again, this is going off of uh, beta experiences and, and beta videos that we've all seen it and Q&A from the uh, developers. I'm hoping that the teleportation, like you can do this, they will allow you to randomly pick a way shrine. Like you could just be stranded out in the middle of uh, in the middle of Skyrim somewhere, going, "Man, I'm overloaded with stuff. I, I need to go back and see a vendor. I, I need to go do all this all this different stuff." But I don't want to trek all the way to town, um, or whatever the case may be. You can open your map. You can click on a teleportation uh, spot. Um, as of right now, it's just way shrines, which I hope they keep. I don't want to ever see people teleport to dungeons or places they visited, such as in Skyrim or in uh, Oblivion. I think that really takes away. Um, getting close is fine. Getting directly to, not so much. So there needs to be a little bit of a trek. But um, you can do this, I think, every hour or half hour. I'm not really sure. We'll need a confirmation. But you can click on a way shrine and teleport there. That's your recall. Um, I hope they actually add a cost and make it substantial. If you have the money, great. Teleport away until you're broke. I don't care. But it should be something where you have to weigh in your mind going, is this really worth the gold? Or can I take 30 seconds and run there? You know, if it if it's pennies, if you will, who's going to care? They're going to teleport everywhere. But if there's an actual substantial cost, and it'll make people think going, well, if I teleport, I might not be able to repair my armor and weapons. What do I do? Is it really worth saving 30 seconds when I could just run there? And judging from an Elder Scrolls game, it all being about exploration, you're missing that opportunity to explore when you use those teleportations. When you have to teleport, that whole point a to point b of the journey and everything in between is gone you're just at your destination rather than experiencing the journey you are just at the end but again if if you have to unlock this way shrine first then you went through the whole journey to get there in the first place and in a game in in all elder scrolls games you always go back to previously visited areas for for whatever reason it may be in in Skyrim I know that I went all across that map multiple times because there were things that I needed or things that I wanted to see and even if for some people it takes away that that journeying from area to area you a will go back there anyway because you always return to places in Elder Scrolls games. Because there's always something to see and do. And B, you've already journeyed through it to unlock it in the first place. It's just a convenience. And it's a convenience that I, I like being in my games. Right on, right on. Uh, it, it's definitely on, on the player of what they think about it. So, I mean, if you really don't want to use it like me, don't use it. Now your friends, my wife, for instance, she'll probably be mad at me going, just teleport. And I'll be like, no, I'm walking. 45 minutes later, he finally gets to the town that I'm in and, and I'm bored and I'm ready to do something without him. But, you know, if he wants to walk and I'm five levels ahead, that's, that's on him. It's not my fault. That just means she has to carry me through all the content I can't do by myself. All right, moving on to the next part of this video. 
The Dark Anchors. If you've ever played a game uh, like Warhammer or Rift, this will be very reminiscent for you. These are going to be world events that pop down out of the sky, if you will, for the lore reason, for the lore, the lore nerds and all of us. Essentially, what these dark anchors are are the servants of Moleg Ball are attempting to merge the plain of Mundus with Cold Harbor, and they're doing that through these Daedric uh, machinations known as dark anchors, which latch on to these different points within Tamriel and attempt to pull Tamriel towards the Daedric plane of oblivion. How deviant. It sounds amazing. <laughs> I, I remember playing rift and I really enjoyed the, the rift system. Um, and the public quest system in Warhammer was also this way, at least at the start. Um, but this is something we'll get into here that I want to talk about the shortfalls of those games that I hope Zenimax actually brings into Dark Anchors. Um, Ace, what did you feel when you saw the Dark Anchors? I think it's a great idea, but I I always enjoy that kind of open content in the world for anyone to just to just join in and, and play together. One, I. In uh, Final Fantasy XIV, the fate system, that is just phenomenal to me. Because it doesn't matter what you're doing, when it pops up, you can just run over and explore it. And this, this I could see, will work for you because no matter what, you're going to have to return to an area to complete a certain dark anchor for whatever reason that may be. It's, it's a great idea. What I think they need to make sure they do, though, is balance the difficulty of the Dark Anchors and how they're going to tailor it to how many people are there participating in this specific event. That is what worries me about this. That's a perfect point. That was one of the things that I was actually thinking of and what I wanted to bring up. She read my mind. You'll find she does this a lot, and we kind of have this little synergy between the two of us. But yes, one of the major downfalls uh, that I experienced when playing Warhammer Online, the public quest system was a blast. I bought the game when it first came out, and I played um, with my buddy who's going to join us on this podcast eventually, as he remembers our epic, I need some help! Too late, I'm already halfway up the hill. He'll know what I'm talking about there. Um, They were fun at first, because... Everyone was leveling together. Everyone was going through the zones and there were people to help. I went back and played sometime afterwards on a second character and there were public quests I could not even beat because there was no scaling in that game for one thing. So I would get up to a certain phase of the public quest because the first ones were meant to be soloable and then it would increase in steps like just like finishing steps of a quest Every time you finish a step, it got harder and harder in the different waves. And eventually, I would not be able to finish it, which would get me out of the reward. And it kind of made the world feel stagnant, if you will, because they were either always up, the timer ran out, there wasn't anything going on. Um, hopefully, Zenimax looks at these dark anchors and finds a way of scaling to a certain point that you need a certain amount of people, but... I don't think you should need 50. I think a, a light party, four people, should be able to pull off a any given dark anchor 
Um, I think the reward should be a little less, but, you know. I, I don't completely agree with that. I, I feel that there should be some that are for small parties. But if I, if I remember correctly, there were some in Rift. Some of the Rifts in Rift were made for raid groups, which I, I thought that was really interesting that they had to be activated and then they were a raid Rift. Now, if some of them want to be for small parties... That's that's great, but make sure you, you you tailor it and you scale it to how many people are there. But then, if some of them want to be difficult for a large group of people, they they should have that option as well. Yeah, I I can see what you mean there. Um, here's another another question I'll have for you here for this uh, discussion topic: How do you keep the Overland bosses? and the Dark Anchors relevant. I know the Dark Anchors are specifically tied to the Fighters Guild. That's how you gain ranks in the Fighters Guild and things of that nature. Um, that was already confirmed by Zenimax. How, do, how would you suggest that Zenimax Online keeps these things, you know, like makes people want to do them, that they don't grow stagnant after you've done them once or twice and the novelty has worn off? That's really difficult to answer. There's, there's no real good answer there. The, the only thing that I can think of would be that after some time has gone by and those areas are not visited as frequently, either add different rewards that make people want to go back, add pets or mounts or special weapons, make people want to do them add add more to those events that people want to experience you, you, you just have to make sure a player wants to go back and why does a player play mmos for gear for the experience for the pets and mounts and if if it's feeling like people aren't visiting then change it then make it different and, and increase the payout. That's all you really need to do. But in a lot of games, people ignore that fact and they go, oh, well, they're not visiting it. It's all right. It's, it's fine. You know, if they forget about it, that's whatever. But don't let them forget about it. After time goes by, just add something on to that event. Awesome. I, I agree. One of the things I was thinking about is I, I love mountain pet collecting, but I, I don't know if that's going to happen in Zenimax or in uh, Elder Scrolls Online. So, don't take our our word here as as truth, because I know the only mounts they've confirmed at launch are horses and stuff. But I, I agree with collectible items such as barding and and things of that nature. Do you have any idea how many pets exist in nature? I mean, how many horses exist in nature? There's a lot of types of horses out there. So that that could actually work if it's just horses. Make them all different colors since there's tons of different colors. There's tons of different breeds. This could actually work in our favor. <laughs> all right. You, you got me there. You got me there. Um, one of the things that I was thinking of is they announced the veteran point system, which is a way of progressing your character past the level cap 
Um, you'll need veteran points to equip certain amount of gear. Like um, instead of there being a level cap, there will be a veteran level cap. So you'll get a, a sword that's level 50, but the veteran level is you know 15 or whatever the case may be. I'm speculating here because they haven't really went into it a lot. This is the general vibe what we're getting. If they offered a reward system that people could go back and do these anchors and get rewards for veteran points and progress their characters, people would go back and do them. Even low-level ones, you don't want to make it that people, like you know, that's unbalanced that people can go back to a, a low-level zone and do all the uh, the events and get the same reward because there needs to be a payout and an, and a uh, and an incentive to go do the harder stuff. Um, so veteran reward system could definitely, or the veteran point system could definitely uh, add some life into these systems. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about was crafting. Crafting is, let's say it's kind of a, most games have it that it's a boring system, let's face it. You level to max and then you're done. Then you're a vendor, if you will. You gather some mats, you put stuff up there, but it normally gets... Um, yeah, it gets uh, left behind by the raid content or the PvP stuff. But Zenimax has confirmed that crafting gear would be as powerful as endgame dungeon gear, endgame adventure zone gear, endgame PvP gear. It, you'd have multiple different ways of getting the equipment. They might vary a little bit by stats. Maybe you need a certain kind of stat that you can only get from here. Um, <clears throat> that kind of thing. Uh, but what they, what I think would really be helpful is rare materials that drop from these things, and like only make them drop from this. Make it so that uh, you get an oblivion infused ore, or oblivion infused plank, or oblivion infused flowers, anything like that. That make it super rare. Like if there's a hundred people doing a dark anchor, make maybe one of them get one of these pieces. That person will then go, oh dear, I either made myself some money. You know, because I can sell it to a crafter, or I'm a crafter and I can now make that awesome potion of invincibility or that awesome sword of slaying everything, whatever the case may be. If there's a reason for people to go back and farm the events, people will go back and farm them. That's what they, I think they need to do. They need to add something that's either a collectible, as the East said, or a crafting mat. Um, that's rare can only be get uh, gotten from those specific events are veteran or having the veteran points i think that would definitely help that's actually a really interesting point one one way to get people to go back to lower level events the the open events would make it so that a special crafting net only drops when you hit a certain level from that event it could be a level 20 event, but this amber-infused ore will only drop from this event if you're level 40. That is one way to make people go back and do these old events, because people will want these mats. Right, right. Hopefully Zenimax uh, does something like that, because I hate when I see content go stale and people no longer do it. But uh, I think we uh, went a little long on our discussion topics there. So now we're going to get to the main subject of our podcast, the Tales of Tamriel. 
This is uh, our personal story time, if you will, where we go around and we uh, ask each host, and they will regale us with what they did in the Elder Scrolls universe um, since we last spoke to them. Uh, as uh, always, ladies first. So, my wife, Ace, you may take it away with what have you been doing in the Elder Scrolls universe? Well, I think to start off, I'm just going to. I'm going to tell a, a small little fun story that I I always go back to this story. And it was when I first started Skyrim. And I was one of those, one of those low levels and my skills weren't very high yet. And I'm exploring and I come across this little, this little area. And there's all kinds of mammoth tusks and there's this little campfire. And I'm the kind of sneaky stealthy type so I'm hiding and I have my bow out and I see this gigantic 12 foot giant and in my head I thought oh right I can I can take this guy you know I'll shoot an arrow at his butt cheek and everything will be fine and I'm hiding behind this rock and I see this giant, he's just kind of pacing around this fire with his club over his shoulder. And I peek out from behind the rock and I shoot him. And his health doesn't budge. But then the ground starts shaking. So I think, alright, that's alright, I'll hide behind this rock again. And you know, my little stealth icon starts to shrink, but it doesn't disappear completely. And I look at the giant. The giant, he completely forgot about me now. But the ground is still shaking and I, I can't figure out what in the world is going on. And I figure I'll, I'll, I'll look around. So I look behind me and there's this gargantuan mammoth just running full speed at my character. And I, I, I froze out of fear because there's no way my, my dinky little iron arrows are going to take down this 12-ton mammoth. So I get out of stealth and I start running and the, the whole world is shaking. And then I have the giant following the mammoth, the mammoth following me. And I'm trying to sprint out of sight. So my, my first encounter with, with the giant did did not go very well and that's it's definitely my first very fond memory of skyrim was the giant that i almost killed but not really then <laughs> the mammoth that pretty much ate my face that's awesome um is that that's the end of your story time for today yeah, for today, I figured right. I, would, I would make it easy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, now it is the time that I always enjoy from these podcasts, and that's the story time for me. Um, little background. In lieu of the, making this podcast, um, I decided that I was going to start over in Skyrim. I, I wanted something to talk about, and I, I had some... And uh, I had some stories and stuff from the past that I wanted to bring in, but I decided, you know what? I'm going to start from scratch, and we're going to chronicle the adventures of Agelos the Nord through Skyrim. I uh, also decided on this. There were going to be a couple caveats to my playthrough. One, 
And this is one of the things why I brought up in the teleportation. I am not fast traveling anywhere. I am walking everywhere. Um, the other thing is I'm starting off on legendary mode. As much as my wife over here says that she likes, you know, to uh, feed on your tears, she was feeding off mine quite a bit during this playthrough. Um, and one of the bullet points I have on here, well, I'll go into why I was crying. Every time he died, I would just sit in my chair and, and giggle because he was having just such a hard time. And I thought it was just so funny trying to watch him not teleport and just die every yeah it was it was really bad the type of character that I always play and when the Elder Scrolls Online comes out I will be playing there is I play a Templar and actually before they even announced the Templar class that's every time I made a custom class that's what I made I always like playing the Holy Warrior archetype in every game I play it's just the play style that I that I enjoy this time I decided I was going to try something that's the same but a little different. Uh, and it actually bit me in the bum later on. I generally go two-handed sword, but this time I went one-handed sword and magic. So I was carrying both destruction, I like the flames, um, and restoration magic on my one hand and sword on the other. I like this playstyle, it's really cool. I also also carry a bow with me at all times. I've played games, and this is one thing that always annoys me, is when I play my Holy Warrior arch archetype in most games, I have no ranged abilities. I'm just kind of standing there. You, you know what brings to mind is uh, the scene of Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings with the elves shooting at all the stuff, and there's Gimli with his axe going, send them to me, because I can't do anything. I have no weapons. <laughs> Whenever we try and do a playthrough, I'm always the sneaky type, and he's always that just run in, guns a blazing, swords a swinging kind of type. So when we went into uh, a mine or a dungeon together, he's already halfway through the dungeon, and I'm sneaking around every corner, pew pewing the 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 elves, um, the Falmir in the face taking my time it takes me two hours to get through one of these mines and he's done in 15 minutes yeah that's generally the play style of play I, I don't really um, pull in stealth or anything I do from time to time when I'm stealing books and ingredients and potions but I generally play that upright guy so I start my game and I created my Nord, and I always have to make them look like me. In fact, I actually started growing a beard only because in the beta of Elder Scrolls Online, I couldn't make a character that looked like me without doing a beard, so I decided to grow a beard, and I love it. But anyway, off topic. Create my character. I'm in chains next to Ulfric, and uh, they call me up, ask me, who am I? I say that. I'm a Nord from Skyrim. The damn Imperials decide to still send me to the damn block. So, I'm marching over, get down on my knees, get ready to face um, face my death and begin into Sovngarde, being sent to Sovngarde, when Alduin comes and frees us from that. You've all played the starter, I'm sure, and that's where we were. I come out, 
And the first thing that after we get out of the out of the tutorial area, if you will, and you step out of that sewer and look out at the world, that's where I was standing on top of that hill with uh, um, oh, what's his Roloff Roloff standing there going that hey, let's go to Riverwood, and I go okay, let's let's go to Riverwood. So I'm sitting there, I'm wearing a. Uh, some light armor this time. So I put on the Imperial light armor. I still hold on to the Imperial heavy armor because I love the look of it. And I'm always kind of a heavy armor player. I start marching down and uh, walking through the fields and picking any flowers and whatever I could find. And I pass the Ember Shard Mines. Um, I was going to go in, but I decided, you know what? I'm not going to go in right now. I'm going to finish my trek to Riverwood and I'm gonna hang out there for a little bit so I go back into Riverwood I sell off the immense amount of gear which by the way I am over encumbered at this point because I did not I looted everybody I stripped them bare and I'm carrying all the stuff Thaise is looking over at me in my playthrough she's like why are you walking I'm like I'm over encumbered she goes why don't you drop something I'm like no no I'm not dropping anything in this playthrough if I pick it up I'm carrying it till the end. So I am walking from the entrance or the exit of that sewers to Riverwood. Not very far, but my goodness, it took me probably 35 minutes to do. I decided I'm not going to go through the Ember Shard mines being loaded up because I've been in there before and I know there's some bandits and there's a lot of treasure in there as well as ore and things like that. I wanted to work on my smithing. So I go to Riverwood. I sell off all my stuff. They plead me go to white run but i'm a busy guy and i don't want to go to white run right now the dragon will be off in the off in the mountains somewhere i don't care i'm fine so i walk around and i decide i'm gonna grab a follower because i'm not dropping anything i need a follower the only follower available without using mods off the start is uh fendril you have to do the quest with him he comes up to you and He's like, I think I've seen you talking to that Sven and that bard. And I didn't know who in creation this Sven was. And I'm like, I'm not talking to any Sven. He's like, oh. Well, he goes on and he tells me his story how he is pining for this woman that works at the local trader. But the bard Sven is also doing the same. And he fears that he's going to lose this woman to Sven, which he's a dirty, dirty Bosmer, so he should. But I decide to help him out because I don't like Sven because he's a jerk. I go up, he gives me a letter saying that this letter is from Sven to give it to uh, Camellia. I decide not to. I give it to Sven. Say, look, Fendril's writing a nasty letter about you saying you're talking all these bad things and I'm not going to turn it in. He goes, Ooh, that's it. I'm going to write up a nasty letter and you give it to her, say it's from Fendril. Well, just judging from the greeting I got from Sven right off the bat was, if you're interested in a woman, don't even think about it because I've already been there. This guy's kind of a jerk and I really don't want to help him. So I take the letter and I give it to Camellia. She looks at it and she goes, this is from Sven. He wants me to think Fendril would say these terrible things. She immediately dismisses him and thanks me and says I should go talk to Fendril. So I do. I walk out and I say, hey, 
She Sven's not going to bother her anymore because now she thinks he's garbage. He is so overjoyed, he joins my cause. So I have him follow me as a follower, and we begin our trek into the Ember Shard Mines. Generally, it's not not too much of a problem. We get down. There's some bandits in there. I'm trying to be a little stealthy because I'm wearing the light armor, and I got the bow. I'm sneaking through the mines, and I see the guard outside the treasure room, and I pull back my bow. I'm breathing very heavily, calming my breathing, letting the arrow fly. Arrow flies through the air. Clang! Hits off a bar on the uh, on the gate. Crap! The guard's alerted. He comes running around the corner at me, shouts at me, and I'm like, "All right, let's let's go." I I stand up, pull out my sword, and we clash. This is the first experience I've had on Legendary, and I take a swing at him, and I graze him, and his health barely goes down. And I, he swings at me, and my health goes down by like a quarter. And I'm like, oh, dear heaven. <laughs> and I try to sneak back. I'm pulling back, and Fendril's behind me, plucking the guy with arrows. I'm doing everything within my power to stay alive. We finally manage to get him down. I strip him bare, naturally. And we continue through the dungeon. The rest of the dungeon, as you guys know, is probably not super... Super exciting. More bandits. We clear that out. I get all the treasure. And I decide to do some smelting um, at the mine. Pretty much he just leaves a trail of naked bodies in his wake. I, I, I like where this is going. That's how I play. I'm very much that kind of guy. We get through Ember Shard. And we're both kind of over over overburdened. So we decide we're going to head back to Riverwood. Somewhere along the way, though, and I have no idea how I did this, I, I get lost. I mean, I've been in Skyrim, so in reality, I'm not lost. But we end up across the river, and we come across a house, just standing out in the middle of nowhere. So I'm going through, and we decide to stop by. There's an old woman there, very nice old woman named Anise. I sat and I chatted with her for a few minutes, and she's like, I'm just an old woman. You don't have to bother me, but it's nice that you stop by and talk to me. She was very nice. I decided to go into her house, and Fandral was outside, kind of keeping her company. And I'm just plucking around through her house, and I'm seeing some books, so I pick them up, and I'm reading through, just seeing what she's interested in reading. And then something catches my eyes out of the corner, and I look. Huh. There's a little bit of hay over there. There's a trap door beside her bed. I decide I'm going to sneak in and find out what, what is going on. This little house, there's a secret little entrance down there. I open up the grate and I crawl down. When I get down there, my eyes are greeted by a dark hue from candlelights on the wall. There's a musky smell in the air. And I look around. It's a basement. But there's something wrong with this basement. It's not like a normal basement. I'm looking. There are alchemy ingredients there is a spell crafting table and an alchemy table as well as other reagents used in spell casting i notice on one of the tables there's a letter and i carefully grab the letter and i open the letter and i read it it is a letter that anise was composing to another woman somewhere i don't know where um urging her to come out to her out to her little shack 
and join her. Her sister would be on the way, and they would have the perfect start for their coven. That's it. I stumbled upon a witch's coven. Not knowing what to do, I put the letter back down, and I crawl back outside, hoping beyond hope that no one, I wasn't noticed. I walk outside, and Anise is standing there, going, looking at me, staring into my eyes, going, so you've uncovered my secret. Unfortunately, I can't allow you to live. She now knows that I know she's a witch. And she tries to do away with Fenrir and I. Sadly, we had to put her down and we moved on. We got back to Riverwood. We unloaded all of our goods. And I stopped by the Riverwood trader again. And inside, I met the proprietor of the establishment who is having an argument with Camilla, who I talked to just shortly before, there was a robbery and they are missing their golden claw. That was the only thing that was stolen. She wants to go after them. He doesn't want her to. I offer to go with Fendril and I. We decide we're going to go up. We will help you out. They tell us it is in Bleak Falls Barrow. So... We were like, all right, Bleak Falls Barrow. It's hard to miss. We saw it coming down the hill. It's always our town looms in the shadow of this place. So we decided we're going we're gonna to walk over towards Bleak Falls Barrow. On our way, though, we end up getting lost and ended up in a pass that connects Falkreath and Whiterun uh, provinces, the Brittle Shin Pass. We walk in, and the first thing we notice is there's corpses on the ground and skeletons. We had found the lair of a necromancer holding up in the Brittle Shin Pass, possibly killing anyone trying to use this pass to cross between Falkreath and Whiterun. Doing our civil duty, we dispatch of the necromancer, come out the other side, realize we are in Whiterun. We're nowhere near Bleak Falls Barrow, so we pack our bags and go back through uh, brittle shin pass and eventually make our way up the mountain to bleak falls barrow bleak falls barrow as we venture in there's bandits and some draugr and things of that nature uh we we find the thief caught in a web he offers to give us the claw if only we cut him down so i cut him down and him being the thief and swindler that he is goes now, I'm not going to give this to you, and runs off. He is unfortunately killed by one of the many booby traps that accompany Nordic runes. So, I go up to him, we loot his body, and we find the Golden Claw. As well as a, his journal, which says that he's uncovered the secrets of the Claw and what the ancient Nords were hiding. We continue through the dungeon, fighting our way through Draugr, through spiders, through skeletons, until we find the lock gate where the golden claw goes we figure out the riddle on the golden claw we open the gate we pass on through to the crypt within bleak falls barrow the main crypt and at this point in time my my follower who is ever the stater of the obvious goes i don't like the looks of this place as we look up over this bridge at a single tomb single tomb on a raised pedestal and a wall with ancient glyphs on it 
I look at Fendril and go, yeah, thank you for stating the obvious there, good sir. I don't like the look of this place either. We continue in and find that it was indeed a dragon wall where the dragon priests had written in the dragon language part of their lore. And that's where I learned the power of Fus, the push shout. We, ki- we dispatch the Draugr that was guarding it, and I find the fabled dragon stone, which marks these burial sites and these dragon words throughout Skyrim. We trek off immediately to Whiterun at this point, because we need to alert the Jarl of Whiterun that there are dragons coming, and that I just found this awesome, awesome stone that has all this stuff. We get to Whiterun, and... He tells me you've seen a dragon. We fight the. Um, he sends us off to fight the dragon. After I talk to his wizard, um, who says, "Hey, I need you to go find this dragon stone, of which I already have." I give him the dragon stone, and he translates it, and we have to go fight this dragon. We face off with the dragon out at the eastern watchtower. We make our way there. I meet Irolith and her parade of guards and we run up to the tower as soon as we get to the tower the guards inside the tower are screaming at us to stop that it's still here somewhere it picked off people trying to run away so I get down low in stealth and we wait and then we hear the dragon coming the dragon swoops down and splashes fire on all of us I'm sitting there with my arrows plinking at this guy And the arrows are bouncing off its hide, it seems, on legendary mode. He finally lands, and after many, many slain guards and uh, myself having to go toe-to-toe with this dragon, we slay it, and I absorb the soul, becoming dragonborn. The next part of my adventure really is going back, telling the Jarl of White One that I have slain this dragon... But on the way back, we hear summon from High Hrothgar. The Greybeards are summoning me to see them. We adventure a little bit within Whiterun. Um, I buy my first home in Bree's home. At which point, I say goodbye to Fendril, the dirty little wood elf. And I pick up my much more attractive Lydia, who up until a little later is the love of my life. Don't tell my wife over there. It's all right. She uh, she was my love in Skyrim for a while, too. So <laughs> I completely get it. It's okay. Hey, she's always there to help us. As, I'm, uh, as we're exploring a bit, I decide to leave Whiterun and just look around and explore as what we do in an Elder Scrolls game. And this is where I really start hitting the the hard parts of legendary. I come across a cave called the Greywater Greywat Greywatch Cave. Grey yeah, Greywatch Cave. I walk inside thinking I picked up a quest while I was in Whiterun to find a sword. I didn't have my journal up, so I didn't know where it was looking, but I sort of figured, oh, this must be where it is, because I thought I remembered it was in a cave over here to the east of Whiterun. Unfortunately, no, there were trolls in there. And those trolls kicked my bum. I am running 
through this cave with my destruction magic in one hand. I am slashing at these trolls, but their regeneratory abilities are keeping them from dying. Liddy and I are slashing and slashing at these trolls. But no matter what we do, we cannot kill these guys. We cannot do enough damage, even with casting fire magic on these guys, to drop their life down. So we do the only honorable thing to do, and we run for our lives like little girls. We make it back to Whiterun, barely, and I decide I'm going to join the Companions Guild, and we're going to start off that quest chain. At this point in time, I meet the other love of my life, Ayla, and I absolutely adore Ayla from the Fighters Guild. I definitely don't because of what the the Companions Guild, what they have to do to be in the Companions Guild. I just, I, no, definitely don't like her. Lydia, Lydia is where my heart lies when it comes to women in Skyrim. I'm looking mostly at the uh, physical aspects of Ayla, and that's about it. Moving on from that subject, I talk with them. We do one little quest for them one of the radiant quests where i have to uh fist fight one of the guys to stop a uh stop a brawl again legendary almost kicks my bum and a fist fight takes me 15 minutes to beat i don't know how it it didn't disqualify me because the only way i could live was to put my restoration magic in one hand and line of sight the enemy trying to keep him away when my health got low it took me 15 minutes to beat this guy it was insanely difficult. Um, after doing that, I get the first part of the actual story quest where we have to go and recover a shard of Wuthrag. It's at the Duskman's Karn. At this point, I have to say goodbye to Lydia because um, Falkus from the Fighters Guild is supposed to be my shield brother for this event. And I cannot have two followers. So Lydia and I part way. She goes back to my home in Breeze Run, hopefully to make me a sandwich or something. And I continue on to Duskman's Karn. Along the way, however, I decide to stop at Silent Moon's camp. It's right on the way, not really too much uh, uh, out of the way. I just have to go north a little bit. And again, the legendary comes into play. I'm fighting these guards. I'm trying to sneak, but I wasn't really paying attention, so I took my sneak off to run a little bit, and the archers spotted me. I had three of them on me. I'm like, oh, no! I had two archers and a caster. I am kiting these guys for, like, 20 minutes trying to get them and whittle their health down without dying. I'm hiding behind rocks. It looked like an adventure movie. I am crouched down behind this rock, with my restoration magic going off, I go, all right. I go around the corner, all of a sudden you hear twang and the arrow bouncing off the rock. And I have to hide back behind the rock again. It was insanely thrilling. Somehow I managed to kill these guys and we move on. And uh, I decide, all right, I'm going to clear out this place. I walk my way up the mountain. And that's where I find the, the chieftain, if you will. But it's not really a chieftain, it's a caster. The caster one-shot me with lightning, and I died. I had to start over from uh, an earlier save, which is right outside white, um, the White Moon's camp again, Silent Moon's camp again. 
So I decided, all right, this time I'm going to do it right. I'm going to try to stealth a little bit and pluck off maybe one or two of them without having to fight all three at once again. I'm stealthing, I'm stealthing, and I'm coming up and I'm watching them. And all of a sudden I see the guards come running down the hill. And I'm going, oh no, they've spotted me. But how? I'm still hidden. And this is where we have a very dark part of Skyrim history known as the Mud Crab Massacre at Silent Moon's camp. The legendary mode, the Mud Crabs are insanely difficult. I'm thinking these guys are running for me, but actually, no, at this exact time, an elk had started running across the path, and them being bandits and hunters started to attack. Again, as earlier I said in the introduction, how one thing I love about the world is it moves on whether I'm there or not. The hunter saw an elk, it wanted to hunt the elk. It's shooting at the help and somehow managed to aggro the mud crab. The mud crab is then coming up the hill after these guys and is attacking them. I'm sitting there in the grass looking and the sad part is the mud crab is killing them. The three guys that I had spent probably 10-15 minutes trying to kill earlier were wiped out by this mud crab. I come up, this mud crab just gets done killing the, the last of the three, and it has about 25% health left. I just pluck it with a few arrows and it dies. I'm thinking I need a pet mud crab going forward, because these things are beastly on Legendary. So I save, because I know that caster's up there again. I crawl up the mountain, trying to stay stealthy. I see the guy. Pull my arrow back. Boom. Health goes down a little bit. All right. New arrow. Boom. All right. Health's down again. New arrow. Zap. I go flying off the mountain. I'm dead again. At this point in time, I realize that my light armor and my lack of enchantments for magic is really hurting me. And I make a mental note to come back to Silent Moons at a different time because I'm getting tired of being electrocuted by this spellcaster. I leave that place behind and I continue on to the Dustman's Carn. This is probably the hardest part of my journey so far. I have never died more times in one place than I have in there. And again, the guy who's going to join the podcast later on, he was on the phone with me while we were playing this. I was in there for two hours and I died more times in that one dungeon than I have in my 500 plus hours of other games in Skyrim. I will tell anyone who's interested in starting legendary mode, this is not for the faint of heart. It is so difficult. It is almost not fun. It is difficult. Now, it is very rewarding when you do manage to do, <laughs> clear something. But I'll tell you what, going through Dustman's Karn, a two-hour trek through Dustman's Karn, almost made me want to go lower the difficulty maybe to master or something i stuck through it and after wave upon wave of bandits and killing them i finally emerge triumphant with the shard of wuthrag found out the secret that falcus didn't want to tell me and i get a trusty new silver sword because i needed one i emerge from dustman's karn and that's the end of my story for this show. 
I hope everyone enjoyed that part <laughs> as much as I enjoyed playing that. Um, Beast, what do you think about my insane story through Skyrim so far? I fed off of his tears the entire time he was in Duskman's Karn. It was it was pretty enjoyable sitting in in the same room with him as he's dying every five minutes. <laughs> it, I I had played on master difficulty for a while and and just playing on master i had to lower the difficulty because it it wasn't enjoyable it just wasn't fun because it was so difficult and being the the stealthy kind of person i don't have the heavy armor i don't have the 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 strong swords or the shields all i pretty much have is is you know my bow my arrows and my dinky little daggers and it was just way, way too difficult for me. And so I give him a lot of credit for for pl- playing that long on, on Legendary. Yeah, it, it actually, <laughs> I don't know what possessed me to want to go light armor for this. But after that, that uh, playthrough through Dustman, I went back to Whiterun, sold all of it. I, put, I spent three perk points. I said, you know what? I'm out three perk points. I put back on my trusty heavy armor and I have to stick to a play style that I know well because this legendary is definitely kicking my bum, (laughs) but definitely enjoyable. And I can't wait to uh, continue that adventure and uh, let you guys know for the next episode where, where we end up. All right, moving on. The next part of our uh, podcast is we want to do a dramatic reading from of a book from the Elder Scrolls series. Once ESO launches, we're actually going to go through and we'll be selecting books that are we get from the game there, so that way um, everything is lore friendly on the show to the events of Elder Scrolls Online being taking place during a time period called the Interregnum in the Second Era. A lot of the books. Um, that show up in the later games wouldn't have any relevance, such as anything related to Tiber Septum and the Third Empire, because that doesn't happen for about another 500 years. The Oblivion Crisis, um, the, the war in Skyrim, we kind of want to keep everything more appropriate. So I'm going to do my best uh, when picking books randomly until the launch of the game, that they they are older in... in uh, in the lore uh for this week um seeing as we are doing an elder scrolls online podcast and one of the main goals of that game is to become the emperor we have chosen the book the amulet of kings and my wife thais she will be doing a reading of that book the author of the amulet of kings is wenengrus monhona In the first years of the First Era, a powerful race of elves called the Iliads, or the Heartland High Elves, ruled central Tamriel with an iron hand. The high and haughty Iliads relied on their patrons, the treacherous Daedra Lords, to provide armies of Daedra and dead spirits. With these fearless magical armies, the Iliads preyed without mercy upon the young races of men, slaughtering or enslaving them at their whim. On behalf of the suffering human races, St. Alessia, 
the first in the line of Cyrodiils, sought the aid of Akatosh, the dragon god of time, and ruler of the noble Adra. Akatosh, looking with pity upon the plight of men, drew precious blood from his own heart, and blessed Saint Alessia with this blood of dragons, and made a covenant that so long as Alessia's generations were true to the dragon blood, Akatosh would endeavor to seal tight the gates of oblivion, and to deny the armies of Daedra and undead to their enemies, the Daedra-loving Iliads. In token of this covenant, Akatosh gave to Alessia and her descendants the Amulet of Kings and the eternal dragonfires of the Imperial City. Thus does Alessia become the first gem in the Cyrodiilic Amulet of Kings. The gem is the red diamond in the middle of the amulet. This is the symbol of the Empire and later taken as the symbol of the Septum Line. It is surrounded by eight other gems one for each of the divines. So long as the Empire shall maintain its worship of Akatosh and his kin, and so long as Alessia's heirs shall bear the amulets of kings, Akatosh and his divine kin maintain a strong barrier between Tamriel and Oblivion, so that mortal man need never again fear the devastating summoned hosts of the Daedra Lords. But if the Empire should slacken in its dedication to the Nine Divines, or if the blood of Alessia's heirs should fail, then shall the barriers between Tamriel and the Daedric realms fall, and Daedra worshippers might summon lesser Daedra and undead spirits to trouble the races of men. That was awesome. Excellent work. Um, as always, this book was taken from the Imperial Library website. If you're interested in reading any books from the Elder Scrolls games, you can find all of them there. Now we want to move on to our community spotlight. This is something that I want to do as part of branching out in a community. Because if a podcast is nothing more than a branch out from the community, I want to go ahead and acknowledge other great members of our community the Elder Scrolls community and kind of give a, a nod in their direction um, the the uh, community spotlight we've chosen for this week is uh, if you're a lore nut like myself there's a great podcast that I've been listening to for a while now it's actually uh, two years old actually this month it is the Elder Lore Podcast um, it's an excellent podcast and it's very enjoyable to listen to if you love the lore of the Elder Scrolls universe. It's um, not very long, generally. Uh, a couple, you know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe a little longer, depending on the story being told. But the the podcast, uh, the podcaster goes to great lengths to really flesh out the lore of the Elder Scrolls universe and show how deep it really is. Uh, one of my personal favorites was actually a series of podcasts he did called The 36 Lessons of Vivek, where he went through and analyzed the books, The 36 Lessons of Vivek, from Morrowind. And it really got into some pretty, uh, pretty, pretty deep stuff there that you really wouldn't think about. Um, but it was fantastic to listen to. You can find that podcast on iTunes by searching for Elder Lore or by going to their website, uh, elderlore.wordpress.com. 
I encourage you to go out and give it a listen, subscribe to it. It is a wonderful lore podcast for the Elder Scrolls. Um, okay, this is uh, the final part of our show for the evening, where if we had any fan emails, we would answer them here, or we give our final thoughts on this episode. Uh, Thais, ladies first, why don't you go ahead and give us your final thoughts for this episode? Tell us how you feel this went being our pilot episode and anything else you would like to say to our listeners I feel that this podcast went fantastic it was a lot of fun it was a a great first podcast and I I definitely enjoyed reading that book that was that was a lot of fun I I'm looking forward to reading more of the books in the future and I, I look forward to delving deeper into my stories and my experiences in Skyrim. I will try and, and die a lot this week in Skyrim, so I have interesting stories to tell. Awesome. Thank you so much, Thais, for joining me. And she will be a recurring co-host as long as she doesn't kill me. Um, going forward, um, we will probably be bringing on... Uh, additional co-hosts later on guest hosts and things of that nature of uh, people that we feel that want to want to tell us their stories and their adventures from Tamriel I want to thank everyone for listening to this podcast if you want to contact us with questions, comments, criticism because we definitely need that you can do so on our website for the show which is uh, talesoftamriel.wordpress.com or you can email the show it is tales of tamriel podcast at gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter at tales of tamriel or by looking us up on facebook at facebook.com slash tales of tamriel podcast thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode of tales of tamriel have a good evening all thank you bye